And what I found is that I am more likely to associate men as people who are in professions that are related to STEM fields and science. And this bothered me because I'm like, no, girl power. We can do it. Beakers. (laughs) Beakers. Welcome to the Peaches Ain't Pink podcast. A show with two cousins from different worlds with the same dedication to glutes and truth. I'm Meredith Atwood, a former attorney turned coach and author of The Year of No Nonsense. And I'm Brianna Belser, a Harvard grad turned TV writer and actor. Leave your expectations at the door and join us. Time to grow your peach. Welcome back to a new episode of Peaches Ain't Pink. We are coming back from a lovely break and a lot of awesome things have happened. And what we wanted to talk about specifically was a beautiful Karen's and Queen episode about unconscious bias. Unconscious bias, according to Vanderbilt University, is the implicit bias that's often described as prejudice or unsupported judgments in favor of or against one thing, person, or group compared to another and it's usually in a way that's considered unfair i want to i want to interject and before we get before i forget everyone brianna's episode that she wrote of all rise will air on december 14th on wait what's the network cbs (laughs) on cbs so go watch and you know share and show your support because this is a big deal yay thank you for that plug (laughs) yes Consider yourself plugged. Okay, back to our regular programming. (laughs) How does unconscious bias, the belief in favor or against certain groups, people, or things, um, how does that come into play? One of the big things I want to underscore as we talk about this is that it's not just relegated to race. Rich versus poor. Irish Catholic versus Italian Catholic. Black versus white. You know, Southern versus Northern. So really keep a broad understanding of what it means to have a bias, to be leaning for or against as we dive into this conversation. And I think one of the key things we need to focus on with unconscious bias is the word unconscious. Because this is where I think we get tripped up. We think, well, I don't have a bias. I don't it is unconscious. You don't even realize it. I think Malcolm Gladwell would call it like the thin slicing blink judgment. I always like to compare it to what do you think when you see a homeless person on the street? Because there's a moment where you're like, oh my God, that could be me. Oh my God, why don't they get a job? Look how dirty. Like there is a judgment that is passed in an instant. And it is that unconscious bias that we actually want to pull to the conscious because that is when you begin to see what's going on and also understand that you didn't put those there, but you can start to work on changing them for the betterment of, you know, the world, yourself and your relationships. I love that. You must work on unearthing those unconscious biases, wake up. This is a lot of where that slang term woke comes from. Be woke, wake up to the fact that you might have beliefs and, and stereotypes that you perpetuate without even knowing or being intentional. So we're gonna stay out of intent land in this whole episode. We're not gonna talk <laughs> right. about what anybody means or hoped or intended. We're just gonna talk about what is. Think about yourself as though you are doing a trust 
fall. Ideally, you'll either be caught by the person that you trust or you're going to hit the ground and splat. Which is why I will not ever do a trust fall. So <laughs> carry on. When we're talking about unconscious bias, it can feel like that. That you're doing a trust fall in order to learn something about your own mind and your belief systems. You have to close your eyes, take a moment and say, what is it that I truly think? Sometimes you might be relieved and proud of yourself. And other times it might be a hardcore splat. So Meredith, tell us a little bit about the Harvard Implicit Association Test. So this is, well, this is from your alma mater. Is that correct? My correct use <laughs> yes. of Latin. Um, but there is a test out there that measures the attitudes and beliefs that people may be willing or unwilling or unable to report. So you can go like do the Google Harvard Implicit <laughs> Association test, Harvard, Harvard and um, take this little quiz. I find this quiz difficult. Um, I think it's difficult, but somehow the people at Harvard have come up with something to pull it out and figure out what you're really thinking. The, the results of this test can help bubble up to the surface unconscious bias that you may hold. Brianna took it. I, th I thought your results were super interesting. So the way that the implicit association test works is you're gonna have four pieces of information and they'll be paired off. So for me, I took one about weapons and the two groups of people that we focused on were black people and white people. And then the two types of weapons were harmless objects and uh, objects that do harm, so a weapon. So within these four pieces of information, you have two buttons on the keyboard and the keyboard is going to pair off black Americans with harmless objects, white Americans with weapons, and you'll take a, you know, seven or eight questions and then it'll swap it. So black Americans with weapons and white Americans with harmless objects. And so basically the test functions by seeing how quickly can you categorize images of white Americans and weapons versus black Americans and weapons. And usually the faster you are is the bias that you're leaning toward. It's that split second instantaneous decision that you make. So I took this test on weapons and my results told me that I'm about 64% more likely to associate white people with weapons. And it asks you, what is your demographic? What is your age? What is your background, your nationality? And are you surprised by the results? For me, I wasn't too surprised because I associate the use of registered guns with white people. Growing up, all of my white family members were people who um, had shotguns and hunting rifles and things like that. So the idea that I have that association between a, a certain racial group and a certain uh, tool doesn't surprise me. Um, but I have taken a second implicit association test, and this one hurt me a little bit, and it was about gender. So the two pieces of information paired off were men and women, and then science and not science professions. So when I clicked the buttons, I went as fast as I could, pairing women with science, women without science, men with science, men without and what I found is that I am more likely to associate men as people who are in professions that are related to STEM fields and science. And this bothered me because I'm like, no, girl power. We can do it. Right. Beakers. Beakers. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh. But no, that's interesting yeah. because, you know, you'll, you'll hear people say, well, I've got to go to the doctor. And then someone will say, well, what did he say? I'm like, ah, it's true. you know, it's that right kind of. Yeah, it's right there. But it just clocked for me like, Brianna, you do associate these sorts of jobs with men. And so now 
if I were having a, qu- a conversation with someone about their trip to the doctor, the place where I take this unconscious bias, I've made it conscious with the Harvard implicit association test. But the way that I combat this bias is I say, what did they say? So talking mm. about this doctor, I keep it gender neutral. And I just tell myself, Brianna, you are conditioned to believe this bias thinking. Combat it. So actively in the words that you choose and the, and the language that you use to express yourself, the questions that you ask work against it. And, you know, what, even though I didn't take the test, um, I know, I know, no, 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 what my unconscious bias biases are, especially with regard to race. I mean, growing up in the South, um, in Savannah, it was very well, and I put this in quotes, known that the downtown area was, quote, dangerous because that's where the black people mm, lived, right? right. So, ev- so from a very young age, and not to family blame, not to do that, but this is what I, you know, this is what we grew up in, or what I grew up in. And so, as a young child, I associated, and and of course, we we're going to talk about this in the a future episode about how our biases are in place, even like before we can talk. Right. But you know, as a young child, I associated black people with danger. Mm-hmm. You know, if and and that's just how it was. And so even now I can feel that when I'm walking alone or but now the instant feeling that comes with it is oh no, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like absolutely. The, you know, it's the immediate talk back which is what you're talking about that brings the unconscious to the conscious conscious and the feeling is often a wave of shame. Mm-hmm. it's a wave of like what the fuck are you like are you serious right now because like even in our 97.4 percent white community that we live in there was a black man running down our street mm-hmm. taking a jog and my immediate thought was well there's the one <laughs> right <laughs> you know right. like there he is and, right. and then I thought god but just being aware of it that when I see someone of a different color I have a glitch that goes mm, different that's what I, I pick up on now. Not mm-hmm. like me, unlike me, maybe not safe. Don't understand. Who are you? Mm-hmm. Where do you come from? There's this whole internal dialogue of not like me, don't understand, don't get it. And then perhaps it goes even deeper to danger or don't want right. to know or cross the other side of the street. And, and that's how it gets to be a problem because yeah. we, unconsciously we, you know, our conscious breeds emotions emotions breed actions Mm -hmm. so at some level if you're not dealing with your bias you are having emotions and those are going to lead to actions perhaps detrimental ones absolutely i'm glad that you got into that because if you are human and if you have been socialized you possess unconscious biases no one is exempt on the face of the earth you have them and that fact is okay Where the line is drawn is you're not permitted to stay in a place of unconscious bias. Do the trust fall. Take the implicit association test. Bring those unconscious biases, those judgments and prejudices that you have to the forefront. Make them conscious because that is the platform on which you can make some changes. And I think Meredith just underscored some really awesome stuff 
where she said, okay, I'm aware that I have this bias. So I ripped it from the unconscious underworld and I put it onto the conscious table. Now, let me explore where it's come from. She was able to track back through her childhood and some aspects of her geography and where she came from, social conditioning, to pinpoint its origin. Beautiful. Then the next step is being able to clock the trigger when those biases get activated, when the stereotype feels like something that's factual when it's not. So clocking it, she sees this black man running and says, whoop, and then says, nope. And that's sort of how, (laughs) (laughs) that's literally the technical term. Whoop, nope. (laughs) Right. There are 10 tips to combat unconscious bias tools in order to work with that particular bias and it's not unlike what I was saying one of my tools when I think about my gender associations with science professions is to make sure that I'm using gender neutral language so that I don't continue to perpetuate this bias that's honestly a farce moving forward so should we go through these 10 and just break down a few of these and and see if we can dig in so the first one is why you know we're here is Mm -hmm. learn as much as possible about unconscious bias and ways to combat it. So, you know, just listening to this episode, it may be something you haven't thought about. And, you know, there's plenty out there. Do the Google and and learn about what what unconscious bias is. And then the next one is to tell your story and to listen to the stories of others. It is not easy for me to say, I saw a black man running down the street and that freaked me out. Like that's, that doesn't make me look good, but guess what? You got the shit too. And we all do. We all have it running underneath the dark underground. So the more you can speak your bias and, and others will feel free to do the same. And that's how we start to, you know, make change is telling our story. I want to tag in right there on the learning as much as possible. Podcasting is a way to do it. Uh, books are a way to do it. There are a couple of fantastic books like Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. So mm-hmm. check out your public library or your local bookstores for that. The other thing is in terms of telling the, your story and listening to the story of others, if you have a circle that's homogenous, meaning that all of you are the same sort of background, ethnicity, gender, demographic, age, then television and novels are another way to get to plug into other perspectives. See if you can read a book from an author who is unlike you, um, maybe a different gender or a different nationality. When you're thinking about telling the story, don't think of it as a one-on-one conversation exclusively. Mm. You want to talk to someone who's different from you. You want to have a conversation where you can express yourself, but also listening is equally important. And listening might come in the form of reading, So it's a one-sided conversation where you're just getting the author's story. It might come from television and different genres of shows that deal in bias. And it also just might come from that you have to shut your mouth and hear somebody talk and then think (laughs) about it later privately. (laughs) So be open to all those ways. Yeah, and thank you for that. And to piggyback on the television, if you really want to do some exploring, go back 10 years and check out some legal dramas. I was watching Dexter for, I because they're doing like a new one and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to watch the old ones. And I was like, ooh, (laughs) it doesn't hold up. Oh, you know that, and it's only 10 years old, but yeah, there's a lot there. And you, if you start to become aware of it to really like dissect what you're watching you'll you'll see it and and that is part of the education well and the color of change has a great it's a great organization that collects research and data on these things and it did an assessment of the 2017 2018 
television season and it looked at all these legal shows and it showed that overwhelmingly the criminal is going to be cast as a black person. So that's a bias in casting departments, but that's also a bias that is stemming from our cultural narrative that black people are violent criminals. It goes farther than the statistic was in the high 90s that when you break down the story, the person that's actually committing the crime tends to be the white lead, right? They violate a Miranda right. They don't get a warrant before they enter a premises. So it's really fascinating once you do that trust fall and waking yourself up to a few biases to go back to these shows that are quote unquote the law. And what does it say about you that you were able to enjoy that program initially or at one time and after your trust fall, you've awakened these biases, taken them from the unconscious to the conscious, that suddenly they feel like a whole different episode. And also when, you know, this is something I've noticed in my unconscious bias, unconscious, unconscious bias work. (laughs) I have now developed a British accent, um, is that when I see a television show that attempts to not cast in a stereotypical way. You know, when there's like a switch in the role where you can tell someone's trying to do something better and it's like, oh, that doesn't feel right. Or when I joke with my coach, when we mention God, I'm like, yeah, she's, you know, my I call God a she. And that, that's really jarring to- Why is God a woman? Yeah. It's just like, hey, pay attention because it's talking to you. This is a perfect segue into the third one, which is avoid stereotypes and overgeneralizations. And I think what we have to acknowledge here is that stereotypes exist for a reason in the sense that there's a common narrative constructed that has permeated the ether. So the stereotypes might be based in an observation that a large scale group of people have made. That is not the same as being factually true. The fourth one is also separating feelings from facts. And Meredith, I loved what you spoke about um, when you have that emotional association with different types of vice to say to yourself, hold on a second, temper the emotion. Whoop. No, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there's something really great here because stereotypes and biases can feel emotional. And, and, and that goes to the next point is to have a diverse group of people around the decision-making table. Like it's good to have a Southerner and a Yankee at the table. I got my Duncan here. Like we, we talked about that before. I'm yeah. Like, apparently I move up here and everyone's like, don't you love Duncan? I'm like, you guys are smoking something. <laughs> no, I don't love this coffee. I drink it because it's here. Um, but just to, to realize that the more different types of people you can surround yourself with, the better chance you have of, I don't know, having a more diverse life. Like, let's just start there. It's incredibly enriching to have people who are different in Mm -hmm. your friend circle. Stereotypes are rooted in the belief that what you feel and see around you is fact. So you have to change up your environment so that you can get exposure to something different and chip away at that belief. The unconsciousness of it also is never questioning it. Embrace the different. Doesn't mean you have to do it forever, but just ask yourself, huh, why do I say that? Why do I think that? Why do I do this? Um, right. The next one here is engaging in self-reflection. And that those are those self-talks to uncover the personal biases. I would recommend that everyone, after you finish this episode, type into Google Harvard Implicit Association Test. It is free. There are a whole host of categories that you can go on and do a few trust falls and then journal about it or text a friend about it. Do it together and see if you learn something about yourself. 
Once you get the results of those tests, trace your origin story, the way that Meredith and I talked about where some of these biases were rooted. Once they're conscious, build a game plan. How do I, if I think men are more likely to hold science professions, even if it's only 52 to 48% a bias, it's still a bias. How can I combat that and reorganize my mind? So the next one is to develop a safe and brave space to discuss the unconscious bias. And we, we kind of glossed on this earlier, I think, with the second one about telling your story. And I think it is important to have a safe space. You know, find a friend and talk. start there. Start in a safe and, and brave. I like the word brave space. That I would like a little more definition on what is a brave spaces. space. Maybe we need an episode on a brave space. Uh, brave space. But um, yeah. And then the next one, and I would like you to talk about this one because I am very confused and I don't mean this in a, oh my God, I'm a crazy white woman type. I mean, but there is this idea that if we are to be anti-racist and we're doing the work around it, that there's an allyship. Like I stand with you. I'm going to do the work. I'm not going to take charge, but I'm going to work on myself in order to present better to the world. So the world can change, blah, blah, blah. Um, But this idea of being an active ally, how, like, let's break that down a little bit. Mm -hmm. I so allyship you hit a couple of the big tenets of it which are do not take charge and do not lead but be an active and ever-present vigilant support and so for me I'll use my experience in terms of being an ally a lot of times if you're an ally that's that means you're part of the majority you're part of the non-oppressed group you might actually be part of the oppressor Right. And so it's acknowledging Mm -hmm. your role, categorize yourself in terms of how you exist within this particular issue, identify the group that is being denied rights or respect, what have you, educate yourself such, such that you can speak or engage appropriately and then take your cues as they're given to you. Do not create Mm. cues. Do not lead. (laughs) If we're at a march, a racial march about black rights, white people don't need to lead the chant. Okay, unless it's all white people in the protest, which what have you. So I'll tell a quick anecdote for me, which is when I think about um, the whole issue of sexuality, and I'm really talking about this issue in terms of legalities. So I'm talking about the law. I'm not going to speak on an individual level too much because we don't have enough time. But when I think about the issue of sexuality within the law, I am a person who's part of the majority or the non-oppressed group, which is to say I identify as a heterosexual woman. So when we think about that acronym, LGBTQ, LGBTQIA, what have you, those are people who have self-identified as a part of the outgroup or the minority or the oppressed group. And we can see this in laws where um, we discuss legalized marriage. What sort of sexual configurations can be recognized as family configurations in the eyes of the U.S. law? So for me, in order to be an ally, I first had to recognize, oh, this is a problem that will never affect me directly. Mm. Right. So right. That's not the same as it not being my problem. And I think that's a hard one. And I realized the next thing is beyond gay men and lesbian women, I hadn't been educated enough really at all about any of the other letters in that acronym to say nothing of not consuming media from these areas, from these authors um, who speak on these issues in a far more educated and articulate way than I ever could. I had no statistical basis for how I spoke about these things. 
And I didn't know the laws and just asking tons of questions. What is the jargon? What are pejoratives compared to nicknames? So it was a deep dive in there. And then when it came time to be an ally, because the legal marriage vote happened when I was in college, I got on the phone and helped Mm. do a call center. I didn't open a call center, but I was reached (laughs) out and said, hi, would I donate 60 minutes of my time in order to call on behalf of the legalized marriage referendum? And I'm like, for sure, where do I sign up? And the other thing was being vigilant about those instances of oppression that happen on a micro or an individual level. So there's this pejorative when you don't like something that's so gay. And I had Mm. said that before, especially in middle school. And by the time I got to high school, I started realizing that's fucked up. (laughs) That's super ugly. Right. And what I realized coming out of my face was this comparison between things that I believe are negative and label gay. So first off, had to slap myself in the face about how grotesquely inappropriate it was. Cried a lot um, to see my ugliness and to see my own shit. It hurts. But then to move forward and I heard other people, I'm like, what do you mean by that? So sometimes if I'm feeling confrontational, I'll just straight up say, don't say that. <laughs> if I'm mean, feeling sassy. <laughs> if I'm feeling, if I'm ready to get into a little tangle. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll hear someone say that, for example, and I would say, don't say that. What you mean is that's disorganized. That has yeah. nothing to do with gay. Um, and if I was feeling a little bit more collegial, which is, you know, I'm not in the mood to like rough and tumble, then I would just ask questions. What do you mean by that? How yeah. is that? How is that gay? And that goes across like, you know, ableism too and able-bodied because like I grew up in the generation that said everything was retarded. Right. You know, and like, oh God, you would never say that now. Mm -hmm. Like I I don't even think it, right? But that that is also a body. It's very generational too. Like where you attain it from. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But that's that's also one. Like how do you react to people that are disabled? Like yeah. that is another a bias that we we didn't touch on. I mean, literally, there's a million different. Totally. I mean, you can biases. slice them. Yeah. I think the last yeah. thing with being an active ally is, if you're part of the majority or if you're part of the group that is not oppressed, it's going to require you to see yourself as part of the problem. And I think seeing right. myself in some of those really gross heteronormative ways made me say, okay, I don't think there's anything wrong with being heterosexual. I don't think there's anything wrong with insert sexuality here. That's my core belief. But my actions in one, two, three, four, five instances did not align with that belief. So I have to act accordingly. And these four, five, six things that I did were wrong are part of the problem. (laughs) So I think allyship, especially when you're talking about biases along gender lines, mobility, sexuality, political orientation, what have you, a lot of allyship comes from see yourself as a problem, educate yourself, and then act. Act, 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 act. You should be the first follower, never the leader. Mm. Oh, I like that. You're <laughs> yeah. so full of good stuff. <laughs> All right. So the the final two um, goes without saying, I think. Don't expect a quick fix. But I, I don't think it does go without saying. I think we're like, oh, my gosh, I'm an ally. Let's fix this. And it's like, this is going to take all of it, all of the mess. It's going to take generations <laughs> to unravel. Um, but it, it's just like any other habit, any sort of change you expect to make. It starts with the the one foot in front of the other. It starts with the day to day, the moment to moment, the word and everything you say, yeah. and who you are when no one is looking. So, as far as 
don't expect it to be a quick fix. That means for yourself too. And this is all self-work. This has to start with you and you're not going to change overnight. And you have to have a sense of humor about how dark we are. Sometimes right. you got to kind of laugh because if not, you're going to cry. Right. It's like, oh my God, I'm horrible. Um, but to have grace toward yourself. And then finally, the, the last one is to practice empathy. Mm-hmm. And this is one that might bristle a little, but it's, it's something that I have used when dealing with my own unconscious bias is when I encounter someone that triggers a bias, like when I feel it well up in me, I go, they are a human just like you. And it kind of makes me feel gross to say that, that I have to go, Hey, you're a human. But when you think about they're just like me. <laughs> like we are all the same. We are humanity. We are humans. It can kind of wake you up for a minute to go, oh, this whole bias thing is bullshit. Like this is another human on this planet with fears and worries and love and hate and all of it. And for me, that's what wakes me up. It's like another human, another human. When I see something, someone that's not like me, I'm like human. Amen. Love <laughs> human. It. I love it. Um, that brings us to the end of the episode. Just in terms of a tip for how to grow your peach this week, I have two. One, which is take the Harvard Implicit Association test. I'll say it 500 times. I promise I'm not getting a cut. And then two, um, stealing from Meredith, which is an easy onboard to empathy to performing an act of empathy is when you feel those unconscious biases that you've made conscious well up, check yourself and just say they are human. Thanks for tuning in to Peaches Ain't Pink. If you want us to riff on something specific, DM us on Instagram at Peaches Ain't Pink. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, and share with your favorite peaches. Peaches.